0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday the 10th of September, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is parental alternates in education. Welcome! Welcome!
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Good afternoon, or shall I say late afternoon and early evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 46th radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself to any new potential listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the United Kingdom since August 2008, and I am a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach French and Spanish. I have also experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on x/slash/twitter at profprofmfl. All views are my own. Today, I would like to focus on a topic that is relevant to me as an educator and personally in my personal life as a parent. The podcast and discussions will both be on the topic of parental involvement. This is mostly relevant to teachers and educators, parents, students, people interested in education, and the curious and well-informed. First, we need to look at terminology. How can we define the term parental involvement? Well, parental involvement means that most children have two main educators in their lives. They have their parents or their guardians and they have the people they see at school. Their teachers, teaching assistants and all the staff that interact with children in a school. Parents or guardians are the prime educators until the child attends an early year setting or starts school. And the parents or guardian remain the most important and major influence on a child's learning throughout school, but also beyond until they reach adulthood. Parental involvement is multifaceted. It is hard to describe because it's not just one thing. Parental involvement is not always clearly defined or understood. What does it mean in the literature? It means that we are referring to different parental behaviours. When we talk about parental involvement, we talk about parenting practices, such as the aspirations that a parent has for their child, what they want their child to do at school. It can be only focused on academic achievement. But not only, it can also be the way the parents or the guardians communicate with their children and also with their staff at school. It can also be the way the parents value the school and education in general. Parental participation can also be included when we talk about parental involvement. Are parents coming to see school fairs or summer summer concerts? Are parents helping out when there is sports day etc. And then there are parental communications with the teachers, with the receptionists, and with all the people who work in a school. And finally, there is the rules at home. The rules that are set by the parents and that are considered to be education-related. For instance, what time do children go to bed? Do children wear a uniform? How often the uniform is washed? Etc. Etc. Parental involvement is very different from parental engagement. According to researchers Harrison Goodall in 2007 and Goodall and Montgomery in 2014, parental engagement is different because it is what's active and meaningful in the parents' involvement in their child's learning. So parental engagement is only focused on the learning. Parental engagement represents a greater commitment or ownership of action rather than parental involvement. What does the general public understand when we talk about parental involvement though? Well, in education today, most people see parental involvement as how parents are involved in the life and work of the schools their children go to. Obviously, If the children are homeschooled parental involvement is the education they are providing to their child at home parental engagement is a little bit different because it refers to the way the parents engage in the way their children learn in the home so it means the way their children do their homework if they go to museums if they do extracurricular activities but also how they do their homework for school and in school, and also if they go to other settings, such as churches or youth clubs in the wider community. So parental engagement is supported by discussion between parents and the staff take care of their children. And parental engagement focuses on how families can build on what's done in school or the youth groups or at church. This means that you do not need to feel like you have to be involved in your child's school directly via fundraising or via attending um, concerts or events. Parental engagement can be done from home. But there is definitely a continuum between parental involvement and parental engagement. There is a movement between the two and it represents a shift in emphasis because nowadays, When we think of parental involvement, we think more about the relationship that parents and schools have together. And sometimes we forget that it can also be the relationship between parents and their child's learning outside school. Because I want to talk about the broader issue, I'm gonna refer to parental involvement because parental involvement is not just about learning. Parental involvement is the dreams that parents have for their child. It's also their aspiration, and it's everything they do and the way they bring up their children. So today's podcast will be focused on parental involvement. And we will have two interviewees, Sylvie and Laura, who both have many, many years of experience in state schools in the UK as linguist and teacher of languages. But first, before we meet Laura and Sylvie, let's listen to the news.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
2: RAC remains the top education story across many major outlets with the BBC focusing on the impact the issue is having on universities across the UK. The news website refers to closures of lecture theatres, science labs and student unions. So far, 14 universities have told the BBC that they have closed or partially closed areas containing the reinforced autoclave aerated concrete. Some lectures have had to be relocated, and a small number of universities have had to find alternative accommodation for students, as halls of residence have also been affected. This has placed additional pressures on universities already facing housing shortages, with charity Unipol suggesting that student housing shortages are going to get worse in some cities. Student numbers are growing but the number of new rooms is tumbling. This is largely due to high building costs, older buildings falling into disrepair and now rat concerns are adding to the issue. Last week, the DfE published the list of 147 schools in England built using the concrete. Six unions have now written to Education Secretary Gillian Keegan, asking a series of urgent questions. The BBC says that Essex is the county in England with the most affected schools, with 25 closed, partly closed or making alternative arrangements. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has dismissed suggestions that he was at fault for the concrete crisis. During Prime Minister's question time, he said his government had acted decisively, whilst opposition leader Sakir Starmer referred to him as Captain Hindsight. In Wales, only two schools have so far been affected by RAC, but First Minister Mark Drakeford said inspections were ongoing. In Scotland, Humza Youssef has outlined his plans for the coming year, with a heavy focus on expanding childcare provision, saying it is the best way to support families. This plan includes the recruitment of a 1,000 more childminders by 2026. Free childcare hours are being extended to two-year-olds across the country. There will be a pilot of expanded care from nine months to the end of primary in six local authority areas and free school meals for P6 and P7 pupils moves forward. But those in receipt of the Scottish Child Payment will receive them first by 2024, with others following by 2026. Last week, Mr Yusuf also commented on the issue of banning single-use vapes and linked this to the comments made about young people using vapes too often. He stated that the government will consult on curbing the sale of disposable single-use vapes, including consulting on an outright ban. According to The Guardian, South Korean teachers have staged walkouts over harassment by parents and students. Thousands of staff attended a rally in Seoul demanding better protection after a number of teacher suicides. Teachers are being increasingly vocal about their experiences of maltreatment, including being accused of child abuse after disciplining students. Around 15,000 teachers attended a rally last week and some schools had to temporarily close due to a lack of staff. As of June 2023, 100 school teachers had died by suicide in the country since 2018. The current education ministry blames the current situation on previous governments, saying that they had overemphasised students' human rights over teachers' rights. Finally, The Guardian also reports that a city in Japan is tackling a rise in truancy with the help of robots. Two schools in Kumamoto have purchased mechanical assistance to help children regain confidence in dealing with teachers and their peers. It is hoped the robots will encourage children to attend classes remotely and eventually coax them back in person. The robots will be equipped with microphones, speakers and cameras. Students learning remotely will be connected to the robots via laptops, allowing them to attend and take part in discussions. The robots will not be confined to classrooms, but be free to roam so pupils can take part in other events and enjoy social times remotely too. Japan, like many countries, including the UK, is facing a rise in the number of pupils refusing to go to school since the pandemic. Could robots be the key to improvement? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
1: Good afternoon, Sylvie, and thank you for joining us. So um, you sent me your biography prior to the interview, and um, I could see that you have a lot of experience in being an MFL teacher because you started in the the 80s in the UK. So can you tell me now um, what have you
3: been doing since 1986? (laughs) Um, So 1986, 1987, I was a lectrice at uh, the University of Leicester, And then uh, they were going to renew my contract, not renew my contract, renew my contract, not renew my contract until I found out in May um, that they weren't. Um, So I applied for a PGC in um, Aberystwyth. Um, And from there, I taught one year in Buckinghamshire, a short time in Shrewsbury, um, mostly uh, French uh, at this stage and uh, EFL. Um, And uh, then I moved to the Isle of Man, my husband's a geologist, so it was a big attraction. Um, So we moved to the Isle of Man, where I've been teaching French and Spanish, apart from a sabbatical year that I spent in uh, Reggio Emilia in Italy, Mm -hmm. where I I went back to teaching English. Um,
1: So yeah, that's me. So you definitely follow the linguist profile, because you've been teaching English as a foreign language, but also to other mfl modern foreign languages fantastic so i'm sure you have a lot to tell us about parental involvement which is today's topic so um, you've been explaining how you've worked in education for most of your um, working life and what were your main responsibilities at work regarding parents and parental involvement
3: Okay, um, so uh, I uh, spent eighteen years as head of department. Um, so you you definitely get the flack. You get the good bits too. Um, so my main involvement with parents uh, parents was uh, in very recent years, sadly, when they wanted to withdraw their children from languages, um, and that's happened more and more. I uh, have to say since Brexit. Um, Uh, but uh, mostly it's been to do with school trips. Um, I've been very lucky that I've run about 27 school trips. Um, So um, all the practicalities, uh, all those meetings beforehand, afterwards, during, uh, well, during, no, (laughs) because you're abroad, but um, the phone calls, um, the We have this policy of setting. So that's always quite controversial with some parents who feel that their children have been unfairly dealt with. Um, uh, what else? Uh, so that we, is
1: very subject specific. So the school trip, yes. the fact that it can be an option that people want to take or not, and the setting. Um, what about behaviour?
3: Yeah, uh, behavior also as as uh, support for uh, the staff in my department. Uh, yes, um, I mean, it, it, it usually started with a phone call, uh, didn't go straight to a meeting. Uh, the meeting was really when we felt that we'd taken every possible approach and nothing and nothing and worked um, and uh, then we usually organize the meeting with uh, parents and um, their child um, so that every side could be heard and uh, we could all be involved in, in seeking a solution.
1: Okay, I see. So you mentioned a change in um, the relationship with parents in um, after Brexit. So Brexit referendum was 2016, quite a long time ago now already, mm-hmm. and you said that you had more meetings discussing um, dropping out from French.
3: Yeah. Have you yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I've noticed any other change compared
3: to when you started? Well, um, as well as hitting Brexit, what what we hit, uh, those of us who started before 2004, is that in two, uh, before 2004, um, in the UK, languages were compulsory all the way to um, GCSE and um saddened that it wasn't uh, it's, it's no longer the case because it's become a bit of an elitist subject even even exam boards say so sadly um I don't know why it should be seen as elitist because uh, the majority of the world is bilingual um more you know it's, it's multilingual yeah indeed yeah, exactly, exactly exactly um so, um, so it's become this elitist thing, it's associated to snobbery. Um, a lot of the time as well for a certain generation of parents, it's associated to. Uh, I used to be put in a really uncomfortable position of having to speak out loud in front of the class and I found it humiliating and I don't want my child to go through this. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they, 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 I think parents think that uh, the experience of their child will be the, the exact same as as theirs was, um, and um, and you tackle this, especially you know, there's also um, not just the post Brexit child, but there's also the post COVID child, uh, where anxiety is major or can be major, and the idea of oh my goodness, I'm going to be judged. And I think I think we especially struggle in Britain where people sadly are still judged on their accent and they feel that it's going to apply. Um, little do they know that in French and Spanish-speaking countries and probably others, um, you're judge on your spelling um, more so than on your accent, you know. Um, uh, so, um, um, so yes. Yeah, so I think there's there's all sorts of hang-ups there um, from the way that parents were taught, but also from um, from circumstances beyond the teacher's control.
1: So it seems like there was a lot of politics involved in um, your parental relationship over the years with that decision in 2004 to drop languages as uh, compulsory or core subjects saying that the mm-hmm. government said they wanted by 2027 to have all students learning a language which seems mm-hmm. pretty unlikely to be <laughs> to come to fruition because yeah. we don't have enough yeah. teachers now to teach languages no. No. and also too many students are not uh, in a school where there's someone who can teach them or because it might be due to timetable issues or availability availabilities of classrooms etc so we're going to be far from having uh, languages as a core subject again now um, you mentioned that you had uh, sometimes difficulties talking to parents because they had a negative experience in their own learning and in their past. Um, how do yeah. you feel about your profession now? Because it's changed a lot. So what was your personal feeling being an yes, MFL um... teacher?
3: yeah um so i'm not just an mfl pa- uh, a teacher i'm also a parent and i i could see this in in my own child um that that uh, potential anxiety um uh, and I, as you say um it has changed a lot um there are um You know, there's a a number of fantastic websites uh, that have been created uh, that are really helpful. Um, I think you get through to parents uh, when you start mentioning all the correlations with um, other subjects, how helpful languages are with maths, with music, with um, with, uh, English. Um, And you point out... uh, that it's just another tool in the box you're trying to um, bring out. Um, and, you you know, we have an image um, issue, haven't we? Because um, a lot of parents think that all you're going to achieve is get a grade at GCSE or uh, be able to order a beer when you're abroad. A lot of parents believe that learning a language is to do with being able to order a beer when you go abroad and they don't see that um uh, learning a language is so much more um it impacts on uh well it's been well documented that it impacts on your um unlikelihood, um, although nothing is certain, of um, getting degenerative diseases later on. Um, The more you speak languages, the less likely you are to get Alzheimer's, for example. Um, But it also, more in the short term, it impacts with your other subjects. You are more likely to do well in math. Um, if you're a good linguist. And reversedly, um, you are uh, more likely to do well in your um, GCSE English uh, because you're more aware of, of, of the structure of a sentence. Um, there are correlations with um, music. There are co- correlations with history. Um, it's just finding that hook um, that will... Um, that will get you to um, to see all those links with other subjects.
1: Yes, there's lots of transferable skills that we learn mm-hmm. in languages, and I'm um, I'm always amazed when my students tell me, "Oh, we don't know what's a possessive pronoun or an adverb." And then when I teach them what they are in French, they realise that they've been using them in English but without knowing the actual uh, meaning. Or sometimes they're the 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 job or the function that word has in the sentence. So I do think we help other subjects when we teach modern foreign foreign languages. Um, So when, when we talked about the relationship with your students' parents, there was sometimes misunderstanding and sometimes confusion. Now Mm -hmm. in your positive uh, relationships with the students, what worked well
3: in your positive relationship with your students' parents, please? Okay, so other than school trips uh, where parents really saw how their children had flourished uh, whilst being um, staying in a host family, for example, um, other than this, which was a positive experience, uh, we used to invite um, year six and their parents, year six children that were going to become our intake in year seven. Uh, to attend um, three pre-holiday languages lessons Um, and the parents would come along and see how their children would um, actually learn. Uh, And they saw how uh, we used to teach languages in our department um, and that made a big difference. So,
1: do you think it's that face-to-face meeting and also just simply explaining what we
3: expect from the students that worked? Yes, yeah. Um, not so much the expectation, but the actual, the actual catching them learning, catching them enjoying themselves, um, catching them uh, being exposed, uh, catching them. Uh, making connections, suddenly realizing that, oh, croissant is a French word, uh, you know, um, and it means crescent, like a moon, or, you know, all, all those little connections that suddenly um, suddenly make them, uh, get them hooked.
1: Yes, and motivated by definition. Indeed. Indeed. So you said you organized 27 school trips? Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. Well done, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it is quite a stressful thing. You have a lot of responsibilities. It's cool. dedication on your on your behalf that you um, organize so many trips. Did you really see these trips as being um, impactful on uh, the uptake for foreign modern languages in um, in your schools?
3: Yes, at, at some point, um, all our sixth formers were made of people who um, who had been on uh, one school trip or another. Um, yeah, yeah, it really so, it really made a difference. Yeah,
1: and it's um, this is the tragedy that now it's more difficult to organise school trips. We have budget cuts and also having Brexit making longer yes. waits okay. at the yeah, yes. border is not helping
3: no no quite no
1: mm-hmm. which why i haven't been able to organize school trips lately and it's really really sad i'm hoping this coming year i will be able to um mm-hmm. so in an ideal classroom and mm-hmm. an ideal situation what do you think parental involvement should be like? So, if we're addressing um, a parent of a year six child, what mm-hmm. would you recommend
3: this parent to do? Um, uh, exposure, uh, bringing in, curiosity, um, you know, um, encouraging curiosity. For example, um, uh, asking their child, "Where does this word come from?" You know, how many how many students have we had? who hadn't realized that breakfast meant break fast, like mm-hmm. des Jeunets or desayuno, um, or, or night being connected to the number eight uh, in so many languages or um, encouraging curiosity by, uh, you know, when you're eating something or you're choosing food, where does this food come from? Uh, where does this name uh, of a, say, a football player, an actor, whoever, um, come from? Um, what is the other language on your clothes label, for example? You know, where, wh- where is that from? Um, I think parents should also uh, encourage a little and often approach. Um, you know, you're not going to be fluent overnight. It's a, it's a rigorous but um you know frequent approach um- Finding the hook, and that applies to teachers too, uh, what historical period interests our students and is it connected to uh, uh, the, the foreign language way we are teaching. Um, the hook can obviously be a football team, an interest in a country, an interest in in a landscape, um, an interest in gastronomy, um, and, and just creating a little routine with your child of of encouraging that curiosity i think the other thing that that is really helpful in terms of exam is to ask your child to um, summarize whatever they've been watching either a short news clip or a series um, because that teaches that teaches children to be uh, more concise and and realize that You can express the same idea with different words, and often that's what we do as linguists. We've forgotten the word for something, Um, and it happened to me in Italian during my sabbatical year. You know, uh, I was asked why did I use a launderette rather than another, and I. I uh, I remembered I couldn't remember clean, uh, but I could remember dirty. So use not dirty, Um, and you know, um, yeah. Use use the repertoire you've got.
1: It's so also about accepting failure. I think we have a a culture where we don't talk about failure. We don't (laughs) view failure as a way to become successful and if you if you look at business people the most successful ones have had quite a few big failures in their lives in their ventures so i think we need to also teach the children to be resilient and by resilient it means accepting that we can't get it right all the time Absolutely. and uh, yeah it's it's a simple thing but i think people just don't like this feeling of failing uh-huh. and then they try their best to not be in the situation when it happens which is yeah. Not not con- conducive of of learning, obviously. So, yeah. um, you you gave some some very good um, pointers in um, nurturing curiosity in your child and showing them that the world is complex but also fascinating. You mentioned labels, everyday objects, uh, the croissant that you're gonna find in your shops, in your local shops. Um, so so it's to have a, a curious look onto the world. Now, how would you support the la- learning of languages when you are maybe someone who doesn't have much time, a parent who doesn't have much time? So or do you have any tips on how to support MFL learning, um, not just for the GCSEs, because it would be a bit short-sighted, but in general?
3: um yeah again that that little and often approach um you know it does not need it should not be uh 40 minutes uh at key stage three it shouldn't be 40 minutes uh learning the night before it's got to be something gradual it's got to be um something that um, uh, where you can make associations. Oh, look, that word ends with this, just like another word uh, that we have in English. Um, um, so, um, teach your child to uh, to to notice things, um, and um, and also communicate with your child's teacher. You know, children can be expert at being divisive. Um, it has to be said you know the, I've heard so often oh my my child wouldn't lie we all would we all would in given, given a certain situation and um, if there's been a breakdown in communication um, make that phone call meet the teacher see, see where we want to go together as a team so that the child can absolutely flourish
1: yeah I think parents should understand that unless there's a a big case, but most teachers just want a little bit of help and support so that the child thrive. It's not in our interest as teachers to have students who don't get good grades and who are unhappy to go to class. We want our students to be enjoying the lesson and we want our students to to succeed and um, go on to the college they want to go or the university they want to go. So it's a partnership, isn't it?
3: it absolutely. Absolutely, the partnership can also be done, um, you know, for those for those poor schools that are in a situation of doing hybrid learning at the moment, um, or uh, or or in fact completely online learning due to Iraq. Um, uh which uh, helping your child be organized with the the password for the websites that the the, the teacher has advised, uh, creating little routines of you know uh, what are you going to teach me? Getting the child to teach you or teach their siblings um, some words um, is always um, is always good at, at, at confidence confidence boosting. True.
1: I I just had a thought when I was reflecting on what you were saying, Sylvie, and you, you did say that supporting your child wasn't just doing homework for 45 minutes the day before. So what's your view about homework um, for
3: MFL, Sylvie? Um, I think it's a necessary evil, and I, I don't think it's an evil. <laughs> um, I, I don't think any, um, any human brain... Uh, can be passive in their learning um, and and not not feed um, the brain in between those lessons. Especially, you know, uh, there's there's a real issue of um, the, how much the timetabling has been hacked. Um, uh, you know, a lot of. A lot of key stage three, um, a lot of schools at key stage three have only got one language or one lesson a week, or do uh, they're on a rota? Um, they do six weeks and then don't see the students for another six weeks, etc. Um, that is simply not doable without doing some homework. But homework, homework can be very pleasant. Homework can be uh, lyricstraining.com. Um, homework can be all sorts of creative things. Um, and um, it doesn't have to be, uh, again, um, I think parents have got the wrong image of homework. Um, they uh, they don't see how 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 uh, enjoyable and what can be and, and the the uh, amount of enjoyment that you get from a, a task finished, a task well done a task you're proud of um, and that goes beyond languages it's it, it applies to everything
1: yes I agree with you Adam I'm learning a fourth language and it's very tricky and if I don't practice regularly I forget all the new words oh. I've been trying to remember so I'm um, I see it I try to walk in my students' shoes, and I know that if I don't use one word for three weeks, this word is just going to evaporate from my brain. So Absolutely. having, yeah, having exposure, regular exposure, is the only way. And I really um, emphasize that this is this is the good type of homework, the one that brings back the knowledge you've learned in class. Um, oh. It shouldn't take too long, though, because um, some teachers forget that there's other subjects. and you can't be spending three hours every evening, uh, particularly for also students who have um, special educational needs who might need more time than other students to complete their homework. So it needs also to be differentiated if possible. Mm
3: -hmm. Yes, Um, I mean, at that point, I'm not sure I agree. I think think your dyslexic student or the student with um, special educational needs um is feels more equal because uh well from year seven everybody's starting a new language mostly I mean I know uh, the provision varies in England and there are some who um who would have done a uh, language in primary school um but um uh but mostly uh, it's it's equal opportunities at that stage and um you know we are very good um at Giving tips to learn, you know Danielle Morgan, um, I follow uh, regularly, you know, I've got her books, uh, and she talked about teaching Boku, you know big elephants are ugly because of ugly, uh, ugly parents. Giving those, giving those little hints uh, really help everyone, um, dyslexic or not.
1: I wasn't thinking of dyslexic. I, w- I was just thinking that I have students who, are, for, for instance, have ADHD and autism. Mm. And mm. for them, um, just even writing is difficult. So it, it also depends on the level of needs um, yes, it does. that you that you find in, in your classroom. Um, but a lot of my special educational needs students are very motivated and succeed much more because we also... I'm, and we might give them more visuals to work on. So it really mm. depends on the, on the level of needs and um, the diagnosis they have to face. Um, do you have any recommendations for teachers who start their career in MFL on how to
3: approach parents? Okay, so first of all, it's not personal. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and that's, you know, we, we often think it is, but it's not personal Um I don't want to generalize, but usually a parent that is critical has got other things going on in their life. Uh, that you know they're basically often um, saying, "I can't cope," and it's not just your subject they can't cope with. It's 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 a number of things, and you're just the 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 last drop. Um, um, and um, secondly. Um you know, do a bit of PR, um, be, be post, try and try and look for the positive. Um, your child now knows uh, the, the days of the week, um, uh, which they didn't do um, two weeks ago. Um, or you know, uh, uh, praise, praise any little achievement. Um, and that usually uh, shows that you are totally behind the learner and um, totally on side yes
1: it's always starting with a positive mm-hmm. um, it's a smooth way to start all right um, now you also mentioned that you were parents so what did you do to support your children when they were learning uh, their
3: modern foreign languages sylvie um, well, I'm French, um, so um, I um, I spoke to my child in French uh, throughout. Well, from birth, um, uh, I also speak Spanish, and uh, my daughter went to a school that did French and Spanish. So, um, uh, but I because I was also also because I was head of department. I deliberately, it's probably not what you want to hear for the sake of this program, but I deliberately did nothing because I didn't want my staff to feel that they were being supervised uh, via my daughter. Um, So I pretty much let them get on with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very that uh, I have a department of very, uh, you know, when my daughter went through, very experienced, uh, very skilled teachers. Um, And yeah, I deliberately took a back step. Um, The only thing we did, of course, is was, was, uh, we went to South America, we went to Spain, we went to see family in France. Um, So, um, you know, she got
1: exposure in in yeah,
3: yes, absolutely.
1: Yes. So I gather that she did both GCSEs in French
3: and Spanish then. She did, yes. And then she um, she even went on to do a degree in French, Spanish, Portuguese. Yes, yeah. Which makes sense. She got inspired by her mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, do you know what? I think she got inspired. She um, the hook for her was music, um, uh, music for Hispanic countries and films uh, for uh, for the French uh, target language. Um, and yeah it was um finding that hook um but you know i do realize i mean i was in a lucky position that i could uh, i knew a little bit about it and i could guide her choices but i think with or without me um once she found found these things she would have carried on yeah, they get motivated intrinsically at, after so. mm, absolutely Mm-hmm.
1: Fantastic. Um, now, obviously, this is because your daughter was in your own school. I assume that you yes. took yes. a step back. That's right. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. It would have been different if she had done another language as well that you don't speak. I assume. No, yes.
3: Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been different, but you know, I think, I think once you're used to learning one or two languages, you 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 know the shortcuts, that you know? You know that you want to um, expose uh, your learners to chunks that are high frequency, um, verbs of opinions, verbs of asking if something is available, certain question forms, etc. So uh, it's finding those shortcuts and then. And then also um, not be against uh, Google Translate, um, DeepL.com, or any of those modern tools that we are lucky to have. You know, they're not necessarily a bad thing. Um, they are if they <laughs> if they make you lazy, um, but they make you um, they might make you curious. How does how is that translated um, by um, DeepL.com, or for example, or uh, uh, you know how differently would I translate it and, and you can you can play along with that. Yes. I mean
1: we have to use all of the tools that are in our toolbox. And I mean I use Google Translate myself sometimes. So um wow. if if the teacher can do it, the students should do it as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> for sure. Um well thank you very much Sylvie for this um uh, for answering my questions and for sharing your views. Um, you have a lot of experience and you seem like you have made a lot of efforts to promote languages by taking your students abroad. Um, do you have any advice to give to um, new teachers? Let's say that if there's an ECT uh,
3: MFL teacher, what would you tell them? To do with school trips or to do with... Uh, In general. Yeah. So uh, look after yourself. It's a, it's a tough job. Uh, I've got a previous head teacher who recognizes that the MFL department um, teachers are usually the hardest working in the school. Um, and you you know, you, <laughs> I think we trained through our subject to never give up because we know what it took for us to. Um, to get to be fluent or at least good speakers of the language we teach. And we never give up. And that also means that we never want to feel defeated. So if a a child rejects the lesson outright, we think, right, I'm going to try this new method, and I'm going to try this new tactic, and I'm going to try this and this. And we end up we end up being exhausted from the sheer effort that that requires. Um, so when I say look after yourself, I mean that. I mean, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes you've got to accept that um, you've got to put yourself first. Um, but yes, but my advice is um, uh, expose them as much as possible to the fun you had when learning a foreign language if you were an assistant and uh languages enabled you to uh, to get further in the country you lived in uh, talk about this you know don't hesitate to take five minutes ten minutes of the lesson talking about your own experience and what languages where languages got you um, and then if you do get a chance to take the students on a school trip, do it. It'll it'll change many people's uh, future, you know, your impact on their future.
1: Yeah. Yes. And also it might be their only occasion to go on holiday, you know. Some MDS, students MDs do not yes. Have, yeah, do not have no. families no. who no. can take them. No. So no. it no. is definitely life changing. We all remember our school trips, I mean. Many years do.
3: down the line, we do. Yes. <laughs> we do, yes, yeah. I'm, st- I'm still in touch with the little uh, host families that I used to stay with myself um, when I was learning English or Spanish. Um, so, um, so yes, they, they make long-life um, friendships as well. Indeed, and um, it's always good to have a friend in another country because we can practice
1: our language and build a friendship wonderful uh thank you so much sylvie it was delightful to get to know you and um i'm gonna wish you a lovely saturday and Thanks. evening and yes. um not, uh, also i hope you enjoy the weather because it's like being mm-hmm. in
3: spain at the moment isn't it well not in the other one it isn't so much but it's still isn't nice. it well um, it's 23
1: degrees, which is warm for this season, yes. Okay, it's 30 degrees in London. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Okay,
3: take care. Bye-bye. Good evening. Bye-bye. Bye, bye.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we've all returned to work and I'm going to
4: discuss the old argument of digital or paper diary. For every argument for going digital, there's a counter-argument for not, and vice versa. You can access a digital diary from anywhere, on any device, but if you don't have a signal, it's useless. A paper diary can't get hacked, but it can be picked up and read if left lying around. You get the point. I personally like a digital diary, as it suits the way I work. I can add links to online meetings, add notes and attach documents. I can see my day, week, month, year at the click of a button and the most useful thing for me is I get reminder notifications. One thing to consider if moving digital this year is policies on phones in your school, as this is the most likely way you'll access it on the move. And probably most importantly, if you're using your phone, will you be able to resist the notifications from other apps or emails you see when you switch it on to use it? Cost doesn't really apply as a factor because you probably already have a phone capable of running a digital diary. But work-life balance may need to be considered as the diary is there 24-7. This can, however, be remedied by using do-not-disturb settings for notifications. In the end, it's a personal choice. Are you paper or digital? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was 2 Minute Tech.
0: 2 Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you, Laura, for
1: being interviewed today. I appreciate this. It's delightful to meet you. So, Laura, could you tell us more about your professional experience so far in education? Okay, well, it's really nice to be here.
5: I've um, been working in education since 1999, Mm
2: -hmm. when
5: uh, I spent my year abroad in France working as an assistant de langue anglaise, teaching primary school and secondary school children in Normandy in France. Lovely. lovely Normandy. Where was it exactly? In the small town of Mortain and uh, Saint-Hilaire d'Arcouet. Still got real fond links to the
1: area. Okay. Beautiful. I love Normandy. It's one of my favorite places to go to. Um, and then what did you do? Um, I finished my degree, uh,
5: worked in business for a very short while, got enormously
1: bored and trained to teach. So when did you start teaching children in UK schools then? Uh, my PTC, I think,
5: started in 2001, I think. And I, I got
1: my first job 2002, straight in. So since 2001, you've had many um, educational secretary, And also you've had the change of having, in 2004, um, the language language learning didn't um, was no longer compulsory. And then you also yeah. had Brexit in 2016. And I'm sure that has affected your experience. But my question today is to focus on parental involvement, uh, just because I wanted to see what's done in UK schools. Uh, what are the ch- challenges of getting parents involved in their students' learning, in their children's learning? Uh, because it's very different from primary school to secondary school. And I wanted to know what your experience is on that topic. So Laura, could you tell us what are your main responsibilities at work regarding parental involvement? Well, at the moment, um, I work in
5: primary school. So my career has changed quite a bit since uh, 2002. Mm-hmm. i changed phase to work in primary schools, and my timetable is a lot lighter than it used to be in secondary. Um,
1: I I'm surprised, worked... surprised Laura, <laughs> because I assume that actually you have to teach all the subjects when you're a primary school teacher, so you have a lot of preparation involved. I'm afraid that's absolutely true
5: of my poor colleagues in primary education, but I am a specialist language teacher. So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm self-employed as well. So I bob in and have a lovely time in the afternoon with the children while the poor, hardworking primary school specialists uh, catch up on their PPA.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: And um, and I take the kids for a bit of
1: fun in French. Lovely. It's really um, lovely. Yeah, I used to do this in nurseries and oh, they were so cute mm-hmm. from age one to uh, four just their first foray into um, modern languages, it is a delightful thing because at that age, they're very happy to see you. (laughs) And I'm not sure teenagers in secondary school are so happy to see their French teacher. Not always. Not always, let's say. So how is parental involvement then in your new position? Well, I'd say uh, there's more of it
5: because with primary schools, the relationship with parents is a lot closer I mean, my colleagues see the parents daily sometimes. Uh They'll see them drop off and pick up and there'll be little conversations at the school gate, which was really different to my secondary experience when most of my secondary experience, um, there was like a barrier between parents and uh, teachers for most of the school year apart from from parents' evening. And that has
1: its advantages and it has its disadvantages. Why do you think that is? Because... Do you think it comes from the school? Secondary schools just don't want parents in? Or do you think it's just because parents have devoted so much time dropping their children and picking them up when they were in primary school, and now they want to enjoy a little bit more freedom and go to work earlier or having other occupations? What do you think?
5: I think it could be a little more the latter, Maud. I think maybe parents are looking forward to their children becoming more independent. And of course, the teenage brain is trying to pull away from the peasant and make this world their own. So it's understandable. Yes. Um, however, I do remember sort of feeling in secondary school, it was deliberate policy. My head teacher was there to protect me from parents. And I remember being told, you don't have to bother with this. It's not your problem. I'm going to deal with it." a deputy head or something.
1: Yes, and it is comforting when you know that um, SLT, Senior Leadership Team, uh, are here to protect you. It's just such a shock to go from meeting the parents in primary school, a lovely conversation, to being almost afraid of uh, having interactions with the parents. What do you think happens between primary and secondary then? I really don't know
5: I guess perhaps the the imposition of a lot more rules at secondary school means that the relationship between parent and school moves from some sort of collaborative cozy relationship where it's very limited you know there's just a teacher plus teacher a head teacher a child and a parent it's a small relationship to a great Big institution with lots and lots of rules and strictures over uniform and homework and things like that, and it becomes more oppositional. It's less of a co- collaboration, more of a, um, a demand
1: that the child fits the system. Perhaps. Yes, definitely. It is a shame though because I am—I mean, my children are in secondary school now, and I have almost no connection with the teachers unless it's parents' evening and i mean i'm fine with that because i have a lot on my plate at my own school <laughs> but i do i do feel like my my student my children see people that i've never met some teachers i've never met and yeah. i don't know at all so we lose a little bit of that if she says oh so and so told us this I, I can't picture the face of the teacher and i think we lose yeah, out a bit on that, that distance. um distance definitely so when you um now you have more um, parental engagement i would say um but them often because you say you are um self-employed so i assume that your teachers will see the children's parents more whereas you just pop in and out you're absolutely right i am the scarlet Pimpernel. i just pop
5: in and i pop out again but it's such a lovely school um, there's so many warm relationships between teachers teaching assistants and parents and children are proud to go to school and they're so communicative that parents do greet me they say bonjour madame to me oh and they uh, in French, uh, and they tell me that their children you know love their French lessons and they're teaching their little brother or sister the French that they've learned in my lessons which is just lovely so I've had most deep really positive interactions,
1: really, really warm and, and, and fulfilling. And is it just um, informal, so when you see them out and about, or do you sometimes have to write something in their reports or make a phone call? Um,
5: I don't tend to make phone calls, to be fair. Um, a lot of our parents uh, speak English as an additional language, mm-hmm. and i sort of, I think I've been discouraged from doing that because Secretaries have told me that several parents might struggle with the language, but I do communicate with parents because every half term I make sure that every class I choose six pupils who've done really well and I write a little note home or send them a certificate. They regularly go home with stickers from me to sort of involve the parent
1: in the lessons that they're studying. Yes, and parents who usually appreciate this and the certificates end up on the fridge in the kitchen With magnets on. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the (laughs) joys of primary school children. I must say,
5: I I think this attitude influenced my teaching in secondary because periodically I do book back into secondary. Mm -hmm. uh, When I'm needed or when there's a job going, that somebody convinces me is a really good idea. So um, last year I spent a couple of terms teaching English um, to catch up. Do you remember the program that the government put in place? I went into a little... Oh, it's um, just to help their children who are struggling over lockdown, particularly with oh, English. Oh, that, that one with the tutors. That's right. I was yes. one of those oh, tutors. I
1: forgot it was called catch-up. Yeah,
5: indeed. It, the catch-up premium or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was another lovely gig. I had uh, little classes of six or eight people in a room to my own. And um, we we followed a program to get them feeling more confident with English and that kind of thing. I've got a degree in English. I'm quite confident with that. Um so that was really lovely and I made, with such a small class size, it was easy to ring home and give some praise about those pupils and the parents were shocked to hear from me frequently.
1: Yes, um, they're very um, um, very glad when we make a positive phone call. Indeed. Yes, absolutely delighted and you really see it in the kids the next day. Miss,
5: did you call my mum? She said she was really glad. i got tips so, out of that.
1: <laughs> you you would definitely recommend that for any teachers, whatever subject they teach, to devote maybe one hour every, let's say, three weeks or once a uh, half term, just calling parents to make positive phone calls?
5: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I was able to do it every week because I had a light timetable. But um, I, if I had to do a negative phone call home, I'll make sure I do a positive one for somebody else. It just keeps your spirits up.
1: Yes, I do that too. Actually, I try and frame when I have to make negative phone calls, I start with a positive one, do my negative mm-hmm. ones, and then finish with a positive one again. <laughs> and That's it's good for my wrecking. mental health as well because, you know, it's um, Down. it's never something we want to do, a negative phone call. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have to do some negative phone calls when you were working in secondary? Um,
5: I have, yes, I have done occasionally. Uh, I do remember those moments and uh, you never know what you're going to get on the end of the phone line, whether it's going to be somebody who's accepting or terse. Mm -hmm. So how did you prepare yourself for this? Um, I think I would think very carefully about how to say, I would often try and frame things with a a sort of a truth sandwich approach. You might start off with something positive about the child. And then say, ah, but we do have this problem, or this problem occurred today, and I'd like you, if you could, to speak to him about it, or see if you could address her behaviour, that kind of thing. And then finish off with something positive for going forward, so we we don't feel that this has been an entirely
1: horrible experience. Indeed. So, classic sandwich method always works. Mm -hmm. And um, did you sometimes have to attend meetings uh, with parents on some occasions?
5: Um yes I remember one
1: one occurrence particularly
5: where um, the senko asked me to come in um, and sit in with a child I had concerns about and uh, yeah that was I remember thinking what what a difficult job it is to be
1: a senko yes I wouldn't I wouldn't want this job it's you have so much so many responsibilities and it's very serious topics that they have to mm. face on a daily basis so uh, salute the senkos and uh, safeguarding officers in any institutions. So how do you feel about your profession um, as a whole? You've experienced primary, uh, on a self-employed basis, and now also you have experience in the secondary school. So how do you feel generally about your profession?
5: Oh, well, my profession broadly, well, I feel pretty proud because I think teachers as a group, they work really hard in sometimes difficult circumstances, and, and we've got the privilege of being intimately involved in the development of of people um i mean other jobs that i've dabbled in like journalism pr business there's there's not this deep involvement with the life of a whole person that teaching demands mm-hmm. and i'm still slightly awed by this but these days i just love the relationship i'm permitted to develop with kids i didn't i didn't always feel this way i think i've allowed myself some space and time to relax into the role but um when i was full time MFL teacher I was I think I was constantly stressed by things I wasn't able to do well enough mm-hmm. and I could get into a negative cycle of thinking about my role but yes I, I, th- I found I need the time as a part-time worker to really enjoy it again
1: I think if we can the best way to enjoy teaching is definitely part-time I've experienced a part-time and I really enjoyed it um, the problem is that a lot of us are in full time positions so self care is uh, is an important aspect of being a teacher because we also forget yeah. sometimes to take you know time off or leave early um, um. so um now what do you think parental involvement should be like when you have a year 6 student and uh, you might talk to the parents about the big change to big school in year 7 what would you recommend to do if they want to support their child? I think parents can have a
5: really important role um, with their older pupils of sort of maintaining the interest and the keenness to learn. They have time that teachers don't have to really converse with the students. They, I, I sometimes feel jealous that I would love to chat a little bit longer with these little guys. They're just bright as buttons and adorable, but I have the dash and have to go to my next class. But the parents can question and draw things out and they can also give their children the wealth of their experience, their knowledge of the world, their access to the information sources to, to give their children exciting little nuggets about education that they can share with their friends and share with the class and the teacher and that values education for a child going forward into a new situation that I have interesting things to say. My parents think this is valuable and they're more prepared to embrace that challenge of secondary school.
1: Yeah, keeping curiosity and wanting Mm -hmm. to share is really important. Um, It's something we try to nurture with our own children. I have to say it's getting a little bit more difficult when they age because teenagers just want to run to their bedroom and put the music very loud. Okay. <laughs> but in a in a year six setting, when you still have that enthusiasm and they want to share with us, it is definitely something that we need to nurture. Um, yeah. So what can teachers do to increase parental positive parental involvement? Do you think in secondary school, which is a setting that might have, as you said, less parental involvement due to the Mm. fact that parents might want to go back to full time working or just have younger children to take care of? So what can we do as teachers to increase parent positive parental involvement? Well, I think they can
5: work on the other side of that conversational equation I talked about I think teachers can facilitate and instigate conversations at home. I mean, in my subjects, I, I get kids to ask parents about community languages. I, I make sure that, you know, community languages are so important to sort of, to valorize languages people speak at home. Mm-hmm. Sometimes children don't know the language that their parents speak. Oh, my dad speaks African. Oh, right which one of the 3,500 African languages is Do you think it is? Well, tell you what, we were going to do a project. Everybody, go home, find out how to count five in grandma's language or whatever. And that gives the, the home languages and you get some really interesting discussions that come out of discussions at home. Like, we can all count to five in different languages and, oh, our word for four in this language is the same as your word for four. Isn't that interesting? So, You you can sort of help things mirror at home. If you take any opportunity as well to to communicate positives, you can send home stickers or notes or make those phone calls and that, that will help engage the parents and make the parents curious about what goes on in lessons. And if the parents show curiosity about what the children are learning, the children are going to value that learning a bit more.
1: Yeah, it's great that you mentioned community languages. Um, I have a school, I go to, I mean, I work in a school where we have 65 different languages spoken. And last year, I I know it's a lot, I asked the students to record a family member reading um, a bedtime story they enjoyed when they were children. So we had um, many, 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 many different recordings, some in languages I had never heard of. And it was fascinating. And the parents were really happy, although a bit confused, when um, the children asked <laughs> questions about their childhood because they're not used to sharing their migrant journey. Sometimes yeah. they they just assume that now the children are born here, we don't talk about it so much. But yeah. they were they were really curious and engaged. And I think anyone who works in a school where there's lots of people from abroad originally. It's a great way to get the grandmas and the uncles and the aunts involved. And it's fascinating to see how diverse the population is. It is. And I absolutely love working
5: with children who speak different languages at home. I find it so enriching. It's been a revelation. I, I was warned off early in my career. Don't go and work in a school like that. Oh, dear me, no, those children are far too difficult. Um, Nonsense. They're brilliant. I absolutely adore their attitude and their keenness and their the richness of their experience and their, how willing they are to communicate it. I just love it. And they're usually quite
1: motivated because oh, their honestly. parents and grandparents wanted to get them to a place where they can have access to a good education. So they're usually really keen to learn. That's been my same experience. Absolutely. Definitely. So... um If you were to speak to a trainee MFL teacher who hasn't taught yet, whether it's primary or secondary, what would you advise them to do to try and nurture that relationship with the parents? Hmm. At secondary level? Oh, you can start with primary if you want. But I mean, if you have pointers for any, um, I'll take it. Um, I think at primary level, um, little
5: communications like stickers on the jumper as they go home is a great way of communicating It just gives a level of pride. It's really simple to do. It doesn't take you a long time. Um, whereas phone calls home are a little more complicated to organize and they have their pitfalls. So it's I think that's something to work up for and, and to script perhaps in advance. But positive phone calls home are uh, a great way to nurture a relationship that you might have begun by just giving a kid a sticker.
1: Yes, that's a good idea. I think it should be timetabled because um we rush constantly when we particularly yeah. when you're a new teacher and you have to get used to softwares and And CPD and etc. So it should definitely be maybe every two weeks. Um, you you have forty five minutes to make your phone calls, and it's Mm -hmm. in your timetable so that you don't. It becomes a routine, and then. It's it's a good way to to create that relationship. That's
5: a great idea, and I think sometimes it helps to frame your positivity. Uh, What are you going to call home about? Are you going to call somebody who's just brilliant at your language? Are you going to call somebody who's tried really hard with their homework? Are you going to call somebody who's made a lot of progress since you've seen them actually? They may may be low ability, but they've they've come on and they've made their effort.
1: It could be a a theme of the week. Um, If the week is about uh, kindness or um, you can just notice mm-hmm. a moment when a child was very kind, and then you call their parents and notify them of this. Or if the yeah. the theme of the week is excellence in mathematics, then obviously you will call the one who had the best grade at the maths exam. Absolutely. But you can always find a topic to to celebrate and praise for. I guess.
5: Well, I think it's also really useful if you share that with the children. You say, "Well, this week I really want to see somebody who's not afraid to make mistakes," or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So. If, if I think you've been really brave and tried hard but made a mistake and recovered from it, then I might call
1: home about that. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I think it's brilliant to encourage people to approach failure in a positive way as a learning curve. Yeah. Um, so what is your relation with um, other colleagues who are parents, I'm thinking? Do you have sometimes to teach students you know the parents of have you been in that situation before and how did you manage it
5: well actually um i spend a, a couple of evenings a week tutoring as well as other things <laughs> and uh, so um the children that i tutor are friends of my daughter's who are now in year, year 11 mm-hmm. um and or you know children who are sitting exams in french that i, I know socially in the community And parents, now I'm a French teacher, so I've been called in by quite a few parents that I know to sort of help their children through difficult patches. And how did it go? Largely well, yes. I mean, once or twice I've had to tell a parent that, really, you've got nothing to worry about. You don't need me. Your child's doing everything they need to do. So leave him alone and he'll be all right. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and other times, I've been uh, well, yes, I can see we might have a little problem and I'll do you a few lessons if you like mates rates and we'll sort the problem. Um, but I have uh, I have one student I've been teaching for years and it's just, she really enjoys French and she likes that extra little
1: bit of one-to-one that she gets with me. Oh, they're, they're the perfect students, the ones who really they want extra. <laughs> <laughs> Adorable. I, I know, I know. Um, could you tell us how you manage your own parental involvement in your children's education? Right. Well, I'm
5: I'm pretty sure I'm a terrible nag to teachers uh, because I, I will I will communicate and ask questions and follow things up by email. I try not to be that parent constantly querying, but um, I think I'm pretty lucky in that both my kids. Have turned out pretty studious. They they spend a lot of time on homework, and I was quite worried at first. Uh, and would ask if things were okay at school, and ask teachers if they were doing the right thing. But um, I feel like the communication with school is is really good, even if it's not very personal, because of the sort of electronic communications where there's there's an app that you can check the good things and the bad things that your child are doing. Um, I feel like I've got a real handle on how they are doing at school. Even if there's not a warm personal relationship, I I know how the school is handling their ability and engagement with school.
1: You, You mentioned your children are studious. So do you need, do you need to help them for their revision or are they independent? They're very independent in some subjects.
5: But um, the School uh, really push mathematics Mathematics demands hours Of homework every week uh, And often A lot of input with maths And um, There's a lot of discussion at home About subjects that they both really enjoy like Science and drama And I also Do teach them MFL myself There's mm-hmm. um, a uh, I always, I feel like I know what kind of a student they both are. And what languages are they studying in school? Only the one, I'm disgusted. I grew up in Wales where you had to do three and, um, well, I, you know, that was my option. I could do three languages. They just do German at school and I teach them French at home.
1: Okay. So which languages did you learn when you were in
5: Wales? I learned, of course, Welsh, it was compulsory. Mm -hmm. and French and German and a smidgen of Japanese because I was that way inclined.
1: Okay, that sounds wonderful. And your children are just doing German. Well, I find that amazing because I live in North London and there's almost no secondary schools in the state sector that are still teaching German where I am based. So I think it's wonderful that your children can do this. And you mentioned teaching them French. How do you deal with motivating them to do so? Because that's on top of their many GCSEs and you do it at home. So how do you go about this? Um, well, with my daughter, she's
5: wildly ambitious. So she's quite easy to just dangle the the idea of just a bit extra, a bit of a cachet on her GCSE record or something like that. and She'll go for it. Um, she enjoys sharing lessons sometimes with her brother or sharing lessons with a friend who are a tutor. And um she she just likes to hone her brain that way. My my son's addicted to Duolingo. Oh, I am one of those people. <laughs> it's an amazing app that they've designed it to be quite so compulsive. It's addictive, I've... definitely. Yeah. But that works for him. But he he does like a little bit of input um from me and, and we've since they were small, we've always explored explored French stories and nursery uh, rhymes and things like that. It's we had a day this year in France meeting lots of friends, so they're able to put it into practice. They still,
1: see the points of
5: Yeah, of yeah. I've still got plenty of links and friends and and they see people who speak other languages. And yeah, they they understand the practical implications of having a different language.
1: Yeah. And that's precious because it is not common in the UK Mm -hmm. to have children who are motivated in learning one foreign language, let alone two. (laughs) Yes. It can be such an abstract concept, can't it, if you're not in that world? Yes. Although, I mean, in my school most children are um, English as an additional language mm-hmm. and yet they're not so interested in learning French or Spanish. So I'm not sure oh. being already a bilingual person always helps with motivation, mm-hmm. but that might be just a local um, situation. Um, mm-hmm. So you did mention that your children are self-motivated, that um, you help them if they want some extra lessons your child is using duolingo which i recommend and promote to my students as well and for those who think i have shares in duolingo i do not there's other apps <laughs> uh, memorize as well is very good um, oh, that's very popular as well yes uh, i mean any app that makes you revise vocabulary every day is the best tool to help an mfl teacher because Memorizing has to be done every day if we don't want to lose the vocab. So um, Now, you mentioned that giving a sticker or certificate is a very good way to start a relationship building um, with parents. Then you also mentioned phone calls, positive ones preferably. Negative ones we might have to do, but we should have a routine of have, establishing positive phone calls. Is there any other ways of nurturing parental involvement that you've experienced or that you would wish to see in state schools in the UK? Well, I
5: kind of think performance is a great way to engage parents. Um, When schools have a forum for children to show off their learning, I think that can be a real motivating factor for the pupil and a source of pride for the parent. So, So if
1: there is a great idea, yeah, yeah, it's
5: a great idea. I mean, I've known um, schools do great drama and things like that, and sort of celebratory evenings where they show off the talents of a certain year group or group of children. And it's a real fillip for parents to go and see their children express themselves. And I don't see any reason why my subject couldn't be
1: celebrated in the same way. So how would you see that in MFL? Would you want to see children singing French songs or German songs or act, maybe short mini plays in the language? How would you see it in MFL? Oh, well, I think uh,
5: my particular preference is song. In primary school, it's so successful and popular method to get the children articulating. Um, And they're so cute. Um, so, yes. I, I, I really love a song in assembly. That's a great way. But I do love drama too. And I have a dream that one day I'm going to get my year sixes doing Cyrano de Bergerac. Wow. Something dramatic, maybe with a sword fight or something like well, that. Those three
1: musketeers. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Something culturally recognizable. That'd be brilliant. Um, I I I love the idea of trying to be also challenging. You know, we don't need to teach them things that are easy. Cyrano de Bergerac is part of French classics, but they okay. might never even hear about um, Cyrano de Bergerac. No, but it's such a it's a, a it's a cultural
5: coinage that that spreads far and wide. Um, it's been adapted for the cinema with Steve Martin. So you can have a great lesson on Le tirade du nez, when uh-huh. Cyrano de Brosevac has all his insults lined up. Indeed. To be aimed at a person with a big nose. And uh, it it was just in London, I believe, uh, with uh, McElroy. Uh, oh, McElroy. Was playing the role of Cyrano, so it's alive and kicking today in English and in French
1: as a concept. Mm. The, guy, the guy who sticks out because of his big nose. I missed that because he's a local um, James McAvoy in North London. I've seen him a few times, yeah. and I didn't even know he played in the French play. Oh well, I'm yeah. sure I can Rotten. see that.
5: Not yes. in French, which sadly, and I mean, oh yeah, without big nose. But apparently, I'm sure it was
1: spectacular. Translations are absolutely fine in my book. Um, I'm trying to collate a bibliography for my students that are that is going to be uh, containing French classics, but in English, because I do think you discover culture through books and through novels. And let's be honest, you can't start reading um, Émile Zola or Victor Hugo in year seven <laughs> when you have never done French before. So you could oh, wow. read them in English and that's fine um, absolutely so why not well
5: i'm very impressed with a local secondary school here in manchester that does um units and units based on fairy tales Lovely. and they they find it a great way to present language in a familiar context and exploit it with children
1: i hope they do censor the fairy tales a little bit because french fairy tales are so dark <laughs> They all tend to be yeah,
5: recognisable, sort of boudoirised versions of fairy tales, I think. Yes. But I know what you mean. Madame le Prince de Beaumont, uh, some of those are quite uh, interesting to look
1: at. Yes, or Paudan, um, which is quite a dreadful story. I, mean, yeah. I, lo- I love old medieval fairy tales, but yes. Even French nursery rhymes. There's always <laughs> someone being murdered in well, one I'm- verse, so you really have to censor. <laughs> A lot of the lyrics. Oh,
5: you're so right. I mean, um uh, one of the one of our holiday activities this year was visiting Le Prix du Four. Oh, another place. Oh, what a what an astonishing place. Uh, and uh I was trying to translate the songs that were being sung to us over our lunch in a restaurant,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all
5: sort of traditional French eighteenth century style. And uh my children couldn't eat their dinner, they were so revoltingly dark. Oh, no.
1: Some of these nursery rhymes. <laughs> they ate him? Really? All the poor children. I know. (laughs) There's cannibalism. There's so many just, I mean, if you have students who love horrible histories, then you should do a topic on French nursery rhymes because they'll love it. But if you're reading the ideas here, (laughs) (laughs) I think my year sixes would lap this up. Exactly. I did um, a horrible histories club in my school and the children loved it and they brought me stories um about i can't remember his name but a french man in the 17th century who could eat things whole and had an appetite that could never be fulfilled i had never heard of him and it's a historical <laughs> character and it was just gruesome at all levels so if you love horrible histories you can do a lot with french history that sounds great fun Oh, they
5: always love the, the Bastille Day lessons yes. that I do. Yes. So the more blood
1: and gore, then better. Exactly. I mean, even Alouette, which most people of a certain age have learnt in their French classes, it's about, you know, taking feathers off a poor tiny little bird. It's quite nasty. And yet, yeah, I'm so sick. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. No. So, um, Laura, what would you recommend for um, parents and newly qualified teachers then to improve their communication with one another and their child? Mm-hmm. What would you recommend? Well, recommendations for
5: parents, um, mm, that's a good one. I would say always take an interest in what your children are learning mm-hmm. and make sure you have conversations about what goes on at school or what goes on in lessons at home. That's really important, I think. I
1: I would even say at the dinner table. um, Absolutely. We we do talk about what they're learning in science or history at the dinner table. And it can be, I mean, they can teach me a lot, by the way, my children, because they know Mm -hmm. already so much more. So definitely a good advice. Now, what about um, newly qualified teachers or teachers trying to diversify their practice? What could they do to improve their communication with parents? Well, sometimes I think
5: um, letting parents know what's being learned. I mean, every school website has its sort of learning journey and that kind of thing. Um, but I think a specific communication home about what's being learned, what you can talk to your children about. Well, you know, we're going to be learning about um, uh, food, and why don't you see if you can help your child? talk about their favorite flavor of ice cream in French. And this is how we're going to teach it. So these are the resources you can use and just engage the parents so that they can try that. I always appreciate it if I know from the teacher, from the horse's mouth, as it were, what's being taught so I can guide that conversation.
1: Yes, definitely. Keeping in touch with what's going on and uh, making sure the the word is out. You did say that your your children's school is very good at communicating. Um, Absolutely. It's um, through social media, I guess, apps. Uh, maybe they have an X or Twitter account uh, or the school website as well, I assume. I think
5: all, all of the above. There's a great school website and the head teacher is uh, he's very prolix. He writes a, a great newsletter um, celebrating all the positive things that are done in school, which we get emailed out. And it's very accessible to people because it's it's you can pick little bits from different subjects, there's so many opportunities for different children to be celebrated for different achievements in different subjects. And um, we're aware of the opportunities, after school opportunities, clubs that they could go to. So if you've got one who's a bit droopy and isn't really engaging with secondary school, the new letter is the parents' opportunity to go, but but look, on Thursdays, you could go in and do Maths Art Club, why don't you have have a go at that?
1: Mm Clubs can be a very good way as well to to engage. Um, we do have a newsletter as well in my school. And for Christmas, we always try and add more pictures than <laughs> usual so that the parents actually see what the children are doing. I think using visuals is really important um, to celebrate what they do in drama, what they do in music and art and DT. Um, because, you know, some parents also struggle with reading. Um, yeah, because they might have English as an, an additional language. So a visual is always something good. Oh, um, absolutely good. <laughs> and what would you recommend? That's a new question for students if they want to also have their, you know, we we often forget that we are talking about children, but they are their own unique, they're unique individuals, and they might also want to be involved in the way the school functions. So what would you advise students to do if they want to improve communication between their parents and their teachers? Oh, that's a very good question. Well, when my children were
5: younger, I always wanted to show them that I really valued the job that their teacher did, because I'm a teacher, I know how hard it is, Mm -hmm. and I know how important those little moments of appreciation can be. Uh, Every teacher should have a little drawer set aside for those cards and things. And I was one of the parents that, from an early age, sort of encouraged the children to respect their teachers and show their gratitude, write little notes or little cards or, or do a drawing and communicate their thanks to their teachers. That's the way to keep the respect for the teaching profession going i think is to let children know that someone's doing something for you someone's helping you let them know when they're doing a good job they let you know when you're doing a good job so return the favor please and that's gone on into high school and both my kids are really confident to speak to their teachers and say that they enjoyed a lesson or um they, they liked a resource or something like that or they enjoyed an opportunity and a couple of times a year we do presents. Uh, these days at secondary school it's chocolates or wine and I, they, they, they go in with gifts for a few f- teachers that they've really appreciated this term.
1: Oh, that's very kind of you and your children. Um, it's, it's always nice to say thank you. And I think children, and I've seen it and I've experienced it, just saying thank you for today's lesson, it was really nice goes a long way (laughs) it It really does doesn't it puts a spring in your step exactly and also feedback because sometimes the children don't even let us know if they enjoy something or if they didn't like something else and just a constructive feedback um i remember a student saying miss you do very cultural culture focused displays i had done a display about josephine baker for instance and she said in another classroom in the spanish classroom they have all the vocab and the tenses on their displays I prefer displays that have grammar on it so is that like okay um, and then I made sure this year I have a display which is still very cultural but with all the numbers in, in English and in French and I chose Roman numbers to, to keep the cultural thing going and also um, I did one display on Haiti as theme, its culture, its history, etc. But also a display on the Texas because I thought I need to have a, a classroom that's inclusive. And if some people prefer grammar displays, that's fine. But I need to I need to do it as well. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. It is. And a, oh, a rich environment, your classroom, I bet. Trying, trying. But um, definitely having feedback. Um, and it doesn't have to be always positive as long as it's meant to to enrich our experience. Yeah, sure. and a great one for a show of hands
5: at the end of the lesson, right? Thumbs up if you're feeling good about this and you enjoyed this and you feel confident now. Thumbs in the middle if you're still a bit shaky and thumbs down if you just had a terrible time.
1: Yes, the hand gesture um, is a very good idea. I, I think I'm going to try and include it more because we assume that. If they don't understand they put their hands up, but they don't always do that. So okay. definitely a good tip here. Uh, well, Laura, it was uh, delightful to speak with you and share all these um, your experience and um, your advice and the tips. So I would like to say thank you very much. Well, thank uh, you for having me Do you have any thoughts you want to share before we finish our interview? Just
5: that... Um with a bit better communication between home and school, perhaps we find our our respect for the teaching profession a bit more appreciation will help teachers stay in the job, which can be such a fantastic job. It is a great uh, job. Yeah, yeah, we need to remember that. And teachers can be helped by parents to remember that with polite children who are respectful and to communicate their appreciation.
1: Yes, I think we are on the same side We do love our students and we really want them to succeed. So it's rare that in any jobs you have the same agenda, (laughs) you know. Um, All the participants, all the stakeholders in schools want children to succeed. So we should just work a bit more collaboratively. I I think Mm -hmm. that's um, what you were saying. And also insisting on politeness from the students, from the parents as well, but also the teachers, because some teachers can sometimes be a bit overwhelmed and a bit snappy. And sometimes we need to remind ourselves, take a big breath and, you know, be kind. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you, Maud.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio.